Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Asa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes co-op business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. We're recording in Saskatoon on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. In this episode, I'm pleased to have spoken to Simon Peck, an assistant professor at the Gustafson School of Business at the University of Victoria in British Columbia. His areas of research and teaching are sustainability and organization theory. We wanted to talk to Simon because he has an interesting idea about how co-ops could choose their leaders. Right now, co-ops hold elections where their members vote to elect who will sit on their boards of directors. But Simon likes the idea of sortition, in other words, using a lottery to choose leaders rather than elections. This is a bit of a strange notion, especially in co-ops, where one member, one vote is a core concept, and so elections are very much the norm. Simon's work largely focuses on worker co-ops choosing their boards of directors, and before he explained what sortition is, I asked him to describe what he sees as the downsides to the traditional way that we do elections. So, so a growing number of political scientists and even political commentators, I would say, are, are focusing more and more attention on how elections themselves can have some really deep-seated problems that uh, they would argue are at the root of some of the problems we seem to continuously see plaguing democracy today. So, you know, sometimes classical explanations might be, you know, it's the, the wrong person's there, so vote them out and get a better person in. And now it's more saying, like, maybe it's not about the person, but it's about the system that's being used to select those people that become representatives. So I've uh, been fascinated by this area of work for, for about a decade now and wanted to explore its connections to cooperatives and other forms of democratic organizing outside the government level. So uh, from, from what I was able to find, mostly through some research reports, but also anecdotes mentioned in research papers, and also sometimes my own intuition about what I saw around me, but it seems like the same types of challenges that are being discussed by political scientists at the you know, nation state level, for example, also exist in cooperatives. Uh, so, you know, we can see things like the selection of representatives in, in cooperatives that are not necessarily descriptively representative of the entire membership. And so when you think about it, a lot of people might be turned off from campaigning due to, th- due to concerns like you know, being rejected, being seen like they're, you know, competing with others and, and want to get ahead. Maybe they don't have, you know, a high level of resources or social capital to succeed in elections. And maybe they just don't want to campaign and, you know, feel like they're doing things like politicking or one-upping themselves against others. So these can create significant barriers for many people who, you know, might be great and fantastic representatives, but just don't choose to put their name in the hat. Um, And so so what what then can happen and what research tends to show across a variety of studies that I've seen that certain groups of people tend to be overrepresented um, as representatives in, in cooperatives and other democratic organizations, and certain people are underrepresented. Uh, so, you know, males, managers, those with higher job indexes, people with, you know, uh, more commercial or administrative roles. In various studies, these have been shown to be you know, more likely to be represented, uh, or sorry, to, um, to be selected as representatives than, than their other counterparts. And so that's one issue as well. Another issue is that with elections in general, there's there's always a risk that though once people become elected, they might focus on, you know, whatever their own perhaps idiosyncratic agenda is and pushing that forward, um, or they might be beholden to those who supported them, whether you know overtly as a as a potential faction in a cooperative or an organization, or maybe people who really you know boosted them and supported them. So there's a risk that they won't you know they won't fully represent the 
uh, the interests of the broader membership because they might be beholden to some other interests. So that's another challenge that I see. Um, and, and I think so we have the, what happens with the representatives, but also it's important to ask what happens with the broader membership. And I would say, you know, elections have, have one big benefit that at least, you know, every year or every two years, uh, the membership is activated in some capacity. Um, but I don't think they really create that much engagement outside of that. So uh, once you vote, the big decisions tend to be made by your elected representatives at the board of directors or in other committees. Of course, in co-ops, it's a little bit different because they have AGMs, which are, you know, they, they still in, in theory have a lot of major decision-making power made by the full membership. But a lot of decisions then get made by elected representatives and it gets really easy for members to become more apathetic and more disengaged with what's going on in the cooperative. Um, and so there's a risk that, you know, certain types of people might continuously want to become representatives and, and take on those roles. They might do their own thing sometimes. They don't represent descriptively the entire membership in many cases, while the rest of the members then end up, you know, being more apathetic and not having as keen of an interest as we would expect in the democratic decision-making of their co-op. And, and I would say that a lot of people, especially in co-ops, right, like this isn't the same stakes as, you know, being a, a senator in the United States, for example, but, you know, I'm assuming a lot of people are, and then they are fantastic, they want to help the co-op, they want to drive it forward, but there's just so many people that do not want to campaign and be in this competitive setting, and so they're, therefore they self-select out of even being in the running for that, and so so many very, very talented people, we don't get their potential expertise as well on that level, and I think that's a big problem. As a solution to these issues, Simon suggests using a lottery to choose leaders instead of elections. He said the idea has been met with curiosity in the co-op world, and he talked about the reaction he's had to the concept and how it would work in practice. Uh, when it comes to how people have reacted, I was initially expecting you know, a little bit more debate and pushback, but at least when it comes to people communicating with me directly, they've people have been quite curious about the idea and, and perhaps a lot of people haven't thought about, you know, selection method as being something that can be a good analytic tool to have when thinking about improving democracy. So I think people have expressed that that's been interesting as a reframe. Um, and, and a lot of practitioners in the co-op space as well, I think, are, are quite intrigued about the idea. And I think especially in the co-op space, people people love experimenting with democracy you know it's like it's the setting where you can do things differently outside the straitjacket of the rest of the the rest of the economy so i haven't seen much pushback there and it's more of just a matter of being deliberate and careful about how and when you use the tool of a lottery uh, as opposed to other tools like elections uh, i would say in the case of a democratic lottery you have a, a pool of a potential uh, potential candidates that's created for a particular role so you might have some criteria, for example, you have to be of a certain age or have been in the co-op for at least six months, for example, but then you have a pool of eligible individuals to work together, and you also have a preset number of, of, um, of roles, for example, that you're selecting for, and then you essentially use a lottery to select from the pool uh, into the number of roles that you're looking for. Now, you might do that as a, as a straight lottery, or you might also have a stratification being. For example, uh, if your population is 75% women and you have four roles, then the idea would be that you would ideally have three of those roles be women and one be, one be for a man. So you, there's a lot of nuances to how you can do the lottery in practice, but the main idea is you have the overall pool, a uh, certain number of roles, and instead of electing for those roles, you use a lottery. So with this body of work, uh, I guess the, the overarching point that I, that I tried to make with this paper, but also that I'm really interested in exploring right now is that 
just despite, despite our frequent equation of elections with democracy uh, that we, we tend to see all around us, I just want to emphasize that elections are just one tool among many uh, to select our representatives. Uh, and that in light of all the challenges we've been discussing so far when it comes to elections, I think we should just be open to different ways of selecting representatives. And I think in particular cases, the use of lotteries can be extraordinarily effective uh, and has a lot to offer. Um, so in terms of how they could be used in practice, uh, at, the, at the board of directors, for example, you could imagine instead of having elections for, for the board of directors, you could select all of them through a lottery or you could select a certain number of them by lottery. So, you know, let's say one third or one half, uh, that would be for the board itself, but then you could also create other potential committees around the board to help increase its functioning. So uh, you could, for example, have a second chamber of a board that could be charged with providing feedback or priorities for the board of directors. So those could be kind of descriptively representing the membership and then providing that analysis and feedback to the board itself. Uh, there was, uh, there was one co-op I found when I was doing the research to Scott or, or Scott Bader Commonwealth that uh, had used a lottery to select um, members of the committee to assess the performance of the board, which was interesting. Uh, in a plywood cooperative, I guess close to five decades ago, uh, a lottery was used to select members of an appeals committee. So it's another function as well that could be done in that way, similar to a jury, I guess. Um, or, or as a Terrell Barishis, who's a, a thought leader in many ways around the use of uh, democratic lotteries, uh, he suggested that you could use them to select a nominating committee for the board. So there's a lot of ways you could do it at the board level. Um, and then in, in some more recent work, I'm exploring how you could use analogs to what are called deliberative mini publics or sometimes called citizens assemblies or citizens juries in uh, broader society in particularly in larger co-ops. So whether it's uh, as an advisory panel, just to provide insights of what the members think through having you know, uh, an inclusive and informed discussion about particular issues, to monitor the performance of the board, to review candidates, to uh, resolve any conflicts, or just to get feedback and a pulse on particular issues. So lots of different ways you could do it that I think could really help revitalize democracy and accountability in co-ops. So while Simon advocates for rethinking how leaders are chosen in co-ops, no option comes without challenges. He said there are a few possible downsides to be aware of if considering sortition. Uh, so I guess, so we talked about elections before as having some major limitations. So they're, uh, they're not, they're rarely descriptively representative. We could say they don't always foster equality among people. You know, realistically, not everyone will be able, not everyone has the same chance of being elected for a particular role. As we talked about, there could be, you know, people can behave in a way antithetical to members' interests and they can make people very passive. So some of the main benefits for sortition are in a way the converse of those. Um, so it's definitely aligned with the notion of fairness and equality. So that's a major benefit. Everyone is basically treated as equal uh, and has the same opportunity to take the goods and bads of office in general, uh, which is interesting. Uh, it can lead to greater descriptive representativeness uh, in, in decision-making bodies, particularly if you do the lottery Know, effectively, and we can talk about what that looks like. Um, it gives, I think, more people the chance to participate more directly. So you don't have the same people that have the risk of being reelected. There's fewer risks of, of putting your, your name in the hat to, to be selected. So that's really good. And, and I would also say some benefits of all that are that it can improve decision making because you bring in into the fold a lot more diverse perspectives. Uh, you can have more deliberation. There's less of an agenda that people are bringing in through potential campaigns. 
that you can have in an ideal world, uh, just much better discussions. And I would say also it can just lead to greater uh, social identification and integration among members as well. Um, so at the same time, though, there's def definitely some downsides that have been identified when it comes to using lotteries. Um, I think the main concern that's often raised is that you know, those who are selected through a lottery might be less competent than those selected through elections. Um, and therefore, you know, decision-making could suffer because of that. So I think that's a very valid consideration to have. Um, some, some points have been made as a kind of counter to that that I think are interesting is that usually lotteries are best used to select groups of individuals as opposed to one person. So that lowers the risk of, you know, having one individual who might be a wild card in some ways. And then if you have a larger group, then the risks of that becoming, you know, a major issue decrease. It's also important, I think, to keep in mind that most decision makers, particularly representatives, make decisions more centered around values than technical expertise. So um, in that sense, I think, you know, you don't always need a, you know, master of financial analysis to, to make a value judgment on certain issues, like what direction should be taken. They have to be well-informed and well-trained, but they don't necessarily have to be an expert themselves. What we need is people from a diversity of perspectives to make those value judgments. And you can, of course, offer training, support, mentorship, you know, you could stagger people, et cetera, to boost that competence. But that still is an important consideration where elections in general, while, while we can think of examples of some people who are elected who are not, you know, very competent, in general, they, they are very competent. So that's something to keep in mind and a potential, potential downside when those two are combined. I'd say another potential downside is the idea of accountability. So when you think about uh, elections, even though before we spoke about the fact that some people may behave, you know, in ways that are slightly antithetical to, to the membership's interests, there is a risk that with lotteries that could also happen, particularly because you don't have the, uh, you know, the accountability that can come through with, with elections coming up again. So that's one important thing to keep in mind as well. And, and people have mentioned there's a few, you know, tools you can use to help overcome that. So recall processes, oaths of office, disclosure requirements, things like that. But that's another, you know, something we have to keep in mind that there's a risk that someone might be randomly selected and then you don't have the election that you can use to keep them in line to make sure they're not doing anything that's rogue. Um, another common downside is that it's sometimes perceived, using lotteries is sometimes perceived as irrational and thus illegitimate. So that's a constant battle sometimes people, people have to make in this space. But I do think that that's just you know, something people think when they haven't been exposed to the idea or, or had the chance to think about it. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's just a tool itself and there's nothing inherently irrational about it. In fact, people would say that it's irrational because the decision about who's selected is made, made by, you know, a roll of a dice, for example. Um, and then also another really important point to keep inside is that if you don't set up the lottery process correctly, there's a chance that the pool of people that you'll choose also won't be descriptively representative. So that's where if you can have very large groups like in a citizens assembly, or you could use stratification with a smaller group, as we discussed before, to make sure that, you know, the six to 12 people at least capture all the key uh, demographic criteria that are salient to your membership. Though this option for choosing leaders has the potential to work well in large cooperatives and other types of organizations, it can also work in smaller businesses and can actually be used to make sure the work is distributed fairly.
I think when it comes to co-ops themselves, it's definitely fantastic in, in to explore for, for large co-ops, no doubt. And there's a lot of potential ways it could be done. I do still think it could be done in smaller co-ops as well. Um, whenever there's certain decisions being made about, you know, who should take on what role. So, you know, we're talking about elected boards of directors right now, but also we sometimes choose people to be note takers or facilitators, for example. Uh, and so using a lottery can be a powerful way of, of choosing those roles as well to make sure that the goods and bads are distributed equally. Um, and maybe the co-op has to choose a representative to, you know, go to a conference, for example, or to do a podcast. And so again, those are things that some people might self-select into. They might not have an election, but there might be power dynamics there as well. So using a lottery is a, is a fantastic way of neutralizing those and making sure everyone has the opportunity to access these goods and bads, because sometimes there's things that people don't want to do and certain people are the ones that always have to do it. And this is all inevitably speculation because we, we don't have evidence of, of widespread lottery use in co-ops, but I, I think and I imagine that it could have major benefits on the culture of co-ops uh, in terms of making it much more equal and participatory. So I'm picturing right now, for example, a co-op where, where all members would be expected to be selected uh, to serve on a key panel of some sorts or a key decision-making body or advisory body. And thus, they'd be a lot more knowledgeable and more engaged with what's going on in the co-op because they're anticipating that one day their name is going to come out of the hat and they're going to dive in and have that you know, responsibility uh, to, to contribute to their co-op. So that could be really cool. People would be you know, just used to the idea of learning and deliberating with a wide range of other members, maybe members they don't often meet from other departments, for example. So that'd be really cool. It just becomes table stakes to want to unearth and explore differences in opinion. Um, so I think also in having these types of benefits and these dynamics, it could also help co-ops uh, keep their you know, key feature, democracy, alive and extremely vibrant. So that's, that's a huge benefit. And I also do think, as we just talked about, this you know, embrace and benefit of the diversity of opinion and perspective could be really useful for making better decisions as well. Uh, so, so I think it could have a lot of promise for co-ops. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's, there's so many very safe ways to try this in co-ops. You don't have to, you know, randomly select your entire board right now, but try out a couple of committees here and there to get feedback from an unfiltered group of people. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that would have pretty significant benefits on the dynamics of what goes on in a co-op. In his work, Simon notes that people often use the words democracy and election almost interchangeably, as if elections are the only way to do democracy. Simon disputes that traditional elections are the only democratic method of choosing leaders. And as someone who's served on the board of the organization Democracy in Practice, Simon has thought a lot about democratic experimentation, innovation, and capacity building, and says that a lottery can be a form of democratic practice. Yeah, so, so the notion of, of uh, democracy, it's one of those terms that can be interpreted in many different ways, as I'm, as I'm sure you know. Um, and so uh, at its core, I think the main proponents of it, when it was being used in ancient Athens, they considered the use of lotteries as, as democratic because they were, they were inherently connected to the notion of equality among all citizens. And in contrast, uh, elections at the time were considered to be more oligarchic because they entailed power being held you know, in the hands of only a few people. And that that, that selection was also prone to some bias or manipulation as well. So it's the inherent connection between the use of a lottery and equality among all that everyone you know, ought to have access to that same 
decision-making role in society that I think underpins the, the notion that they are in fact democratic. Versus elections sometimes are seen as democratic because of the notion of consent, right? That the entire population through the voting process consents to an individual, therefore it's democratic. So different logics underpinning it is how I would look at it. As, as, you, can, as you can imagine, as I mentioned before, um, so political scientists really are on a tear right now. Like uh, at the broader uh, nation state, city, provincial level, there's so many really exciting innovations taking place in terms of how to use democratic lotteries to improve, just improve the capacity of democracy. You know, so, so BC, for example, where I'm based right now was, was pathbreaking in many ways with the British Columbia Citizens Assembly on electoral reform, I guess close to two decades ago now. But that was, you know, uh, a major citizens assembly that's, uh, has, that has spurred so much innovation in places like Ireland, for example. There are citizens assemblies on climate change all over the world as it takes place. So it's an extremely exciting time right now to be a citizen because people are able to leverage all these innovations. I think, though, at the same time, when it comes to other democratic organizations, we really haven't embraced much. We haven't explored much these innovations and how they could be used in, in our context as well. So the model in a co-op is, is, or a union, for example, is different, right? You have an elected board and you have an AGM and the AGM takes on certain functions and tasks that don't, you know, that, that aren't the same in the societal level. But I think we could use these tools in, in, in our student unions, in our universities, in our housing co-ops, worker co-ops, unions, in all sorts of contexts. So I've done a little bit of more conceptual research in, in the context of labor unions. Uh, with another colleague, we're exploring how they could be used in universities, both to engage students and faculty and staff as well. At the student union level in schools, there's a school in Oslo right now that uh, chose to select its student, um, student government through the use of a lottery. So I think there's experimentation that's bubbling right now, but we're, we're still at the very early stages. And I, I see a lot of potential. And I hope that in 10 years, if we would talk, it would just be much more common for democratic organizations to you know, embrace exploring with these tools. So how important is introducing new ways of looking at democracy and addressing issues that exist inside co-op governance? Simon thinks it's very important. Uh, so, so I personally think it's tremendously important. So uh, in my opinion, I think democracy is a, if not the defining characteristic of cooperatives. Um, and so especially if we're looking out the era of uh, platform cooperatives, for example, that I know you featured on your podcast recently, um, much of what drives so much enthusiasm in them is the fact that people believe that like, finally we'll have a, a worker-run alternative to the likes of Uber and Lyft, for example. But what does it mean to be worker-run or worker-owned worker and worker-governed? It means that you have to have a robust system to, to manage the democracy internally. And so if it ends up being that we get the same old pattern that sometimes takes place where you know, a certain subset of individuals are continuously elected, the rest of the membership is generally disengaged and doesn't participate much outside of elections or votes at AGMs, I think we might you know, lose a little bit that defining feature that, will, that, that you know, really makes the cooperative alternative what it is. So I think we, we really have to double down and continue focusing on how to make our democracies as robust and, and, um, and resilient as possible. Uh, so, so that's just why, why I think it's really important. And I also just think, as mentioned before, that it will increase decision-making. All these perspectives are really useful. Drivers know their conditions so well, for example, looking at ride hailing. Um, and we need to find ways to tap their insights um, and, and just improve decision-making so that it works for, for all parties involved in the transaction. 
it is relatively straightforward and safe to try, right? So let's say you're, uh, you know, MEC, right? As a consumer co-op, for example, you know, what if they had chosen to convene, uh, you know, a member, a member panel of 40 uh, individuals selected, you know, across, you know, stratified according to key criteria, like, for example, the location they're based in, how long they've been a member, and they could convene to offer, you know, robust analysis and insights of a new strategy, for example, or pricing or product, or et cetera. You know, that's, it's, the stakes are relatively low. I think it's important to take that feedback into account and maybe explain what you choose to do or not do. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you're taking a massive risk by trying this, but at least those 40 people will feel, you know, much more involved in their co-op. Others will hear that, wow, they might also have the chance to get chosen and share their feedback. So it can have major benefits. And if that works, maybe you give them more decision-making authority or you unleash them on a different decision. And I think just through trial and error, we could we could really start to see this revving up. Thank you for joining us. For more on us and what we do, visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, check out coopcreator.com. It's a great resource site that has everything you need to get a co-op up and running. To give us your thoughts on anything we discussed in this episode, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter as coops underscore first. Join us next time on The Common Share.